Mark chapter 12, we're in it because I want to ask you, this is discipleship from the front. If you know anything about me as a pastor, as an elder, uh, part of what I believe fellowship groups are about is growing and learning and discipleship. Um, And so I wanted to challenge you, and I'm calling this summer success. Uh, I looked at James 3, and I thought, you know, I get into it. I'm up up this week and next week with you, and then I have the privilege of preaching in the main service on the 26th. So I've just got these two weeks with you. And I thought, you know what, since I'm in the assessing mode, I'm going to ask you to be in the assessing mode. This is summer success. I'm going to call this summer success. Assess and adjust. I'm going to ask you to evaluate yourself and to do it independently or personally or individually and then do it corporately, collectively, as a couple, as a family. How are we doing and what can we do to adjust in order to be successful this summer? Summer meaning June 21, July, August, September 21, that's the time zone, broken down, three months, what are we going to focus on, what am I going to focus on, where I can truly say I've been successful this summer. I have prioritized what's important. And there's no better space for that to measure what's important than this statement of Jesus in Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to highlight some things in kind of a whirlwind fashion this morning. And then I'm going to commend you uh, to you some priorities to pursue this next couple of weeks so you can live the summer that you ought to live in a way that honors the Lord and you can call it successful. Mark chapter 12 Verse 28, the question on the table, what is most important to God? It's framed this way, verse 28, one of the scribes, that's a legal expert on the Mosaic law, came and heard them arguing, this is the conversation that was had with the Sadducees about the resurrection and whose wife would she be. Um, They were arguing, those defeated by Jesus with his claims and statements, and the scribe comes up, hears the argument among the supposed religious leaders, and recognizing that he, capital H, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Now, see the word foremost, it's the Greek word pratos, it's the one at the front, it's the priority. It's the first. So what is the most important what? Commandment of all. What's a commandment? A requirement. It's not optional. It's an expectation. It's a priority. Which one of the priority prescriptions of God? The Bible is a prescription authoritative from the creator and from your redeemer in order to prescribe to you what matters to him and what will prolong and bless your life. The Bible is the revelation of reality. It is the way it is. 613 Old Testament commandments, 365 of them were negative. Thou shalt not. Don't do this. 248 of them, positive. You need to do this. Aim at this. Of those 613, which one ranks at the top? That's the question. Bottom line, what is most important to God? What should be most important to you over the summer? 
What's going to define success for you as defined by God's expectation and requirements? Three facets. Verse 29. What is the foremost? Jesus answered three parts to this. Part number one, verse 29. Jesus answered, the foremost is. You want to know what the main thing is. If you want to, all the law and the prophets hang on these things. The main thing is, hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord our God is one Lord. Facet number one. The word here is an imperative It's a declaration. The most important thing to God begins with the declaration of the reality, identity, and the priority of Yahweh. He is our God. The collective group is Yahweh. He is God, and he is God alone. And when it says he is one, it means unique, one of a kind, and also first in priority. Priority number one, or focus number one, doing what matters the most, listen, is to consistently communicate, consistently communicate the reality God is. You're in a world of people who it's kind of trendy to be an atheist or an agnostic, which means ignorant. It's the word gnosis with a big X over it. So when you claim to be an agnostic, you claim to be ignorant. There's very few places where I introduce myself as, Harry, I'm ignorant. It's, it's, it's not something that you would in, imagine saying. It's trendy to believe there is no God. It's trendy to say if there is, he can't be known or I don't know him or I don't have the authority to make a claim. This is what matters to God. You communicate with clarity and passion the reality there is a God. His name is Yahweh. He is the creator and the covenant keeper. And he is first and he's one of a kind. Part of prioritizing and pleasing God this summer is to become a spokesman to be someone who makes open claims about the reality, the identity, and the priority of God. Listen to uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. When God's people, led by the Levites, who were the leaders of worship and the keepers of the tabernacle, made these statements, these claims to God's people. Verse 6, Nehemiah 9. So it's a good little paradigm for you to consider as you make these kinds of claims in the collective group in which you fellowship and traffic. Thou Thou alone art Yahweh. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it and the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are world-creating, you are worthy of worship, and you're one of a kind. You're alone. Verse 7, you art 
the Lord God, Yahweh, God, who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham, and you did find his heart faithful before you, and you made a covenant with him. So you're the creator and covenant maker to give him the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, Perizzite, Jebusite, Girgashite, to give it to his descendants, and you will, and thou, God, has fulfilled his promise because you are righteous. So God is the God you're going to declare and talk about, consistently communicate about, is the world maker, covenant maker, covenant keeper, one of a kind, none like him. The majesty in creation I observed is not evolved, it's created. And it's a declaration, a consistent communication of the reality, identity, and priority of the one true God in the circle. This is, he's my God and he is our God. That is priority number one. God is unique, he is to be treated uniquely, he is one of a kind. He has things he deserves, and he has things that he desires, facet number two. So I just want to pause and ask the question, assessing. How often in the circle of the collective group you're in, because this is the priority, I want the world to know. By prescription, I want them to hear that I am God. I am one of a kind, I am like no other, and I am first in priority. So the question to ask yourself is, how often do I consistently communicate the reality of God, the identity of God, and the priority of God? Guess who that commandment's to? Everybody who recognizes the prescriptive authority of the word of God and the law of God. This is what matters to God. You tell the world you're in with passion and purpose so that they know who he is and the priority that he is to have. His uniqueness, his identity, and the priority that he has in the world in which you walk and live. Number two, facet number two, verse 30. This is assessing assessing and making adjustments. Assessing, second category, involves giving what God deserves and desires. This is a specific statement. This involves loving, not just declaring or communicating. How am I communicating? How often am I communicating? But now how am I loving? Verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God, Yahweh, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Assessing, loving. How am I loving the one who is worthy and one of a kind? Love him. The key word is love, obviously. Love is the highest affection that's expressed in a committed action. Loving is not just something you feel, it is something that's expressed in what you do. I can love a lot of things. I love my car, I love my dog, 
I love my home. I love these shoes. This is the love that's the deepest, most intensive, and it's comprehensive because you love God with what? All. Comprehensive. All. All of me. Which is why you have these four categories. Heart, soul, mind, strength. He could have said, love me with all of you, all you have. He nuances it, which means he, he breaks it up in a way that punctuates the categories that are to express your affection for God. The first is the heart. Out of the heart flow the springs of life. The Hebrew word and the Greek comparable word in a context where there's nuances like this has to do with the will, the dispatch center, out of your heart flow the issues of life. It's the control center. It's the place where you decide. Soul is where you feel. The heart is where you decide. Assess yourself. How am I doing as it relates to an all-in, I've made up my mind, resolution to love God with all I've got. How am I in terms, here's the key word, my commitment to God? Am I a fair weather follower? Hey man, if things are going well, I'm all in. It's kind of like marriage. If we're getting along good, I'm all in. If things are rough, I may not be so in. If things are not going the way that I want them to go or you're not giving me what I think I need or deserve... I'm going to reevaluate. I'm going to consider. I'm going to temper my response. Some people do God like that. They date God. This is a question of, am I all in? Have I made up my mind? Am I a committed follower? Not just on Sundays, but Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sunday, Monday, I'm in. I've made up my mind, I'm going to love God, X, out of my will. X is the preposition here, out of the inward part where I decide. Number two in this nuance of loving is the idea of soul. Soul is the place where you feel. Jesus was grieved in the garden in his soul. His soul was grieved. This is where you feel. The word soul has the idea of referring to your suke, your person, your emotions, your passions, the real you, you at the core, your desires, your feelings. This is what we would closest, closest refer to as our emotions. This is the seat of my passions. Here's an assessment. How passionate am I about Yahweh? How much is he the driver of my soul? Listen, I walk by guys and gals on the trail in Yosemite with with mountain climbing stuff. They had the backpack. They had all of these, these deals that you clip in with, and they're different sizes, and, and they got the piton or the, the little deals they drive in. I watch guys hang on the side of El Capitan. I have no way to relate to that. 
near the top. I got the pictures. They take several days. They're on the side of that uh, mammoth piece of granite. And I'm watching them, and I'm watching these folks carry the things and do what they do to get where they have to go in order to do what they desire to do. And I write down one big idea, passion. Man, they're passionate. What are you passionate about? What's the driver of your life? Assess that. How do you measure that? You measure that by the the driving kind of life priority that that represents. Nathan represented National Automotive Professionals Day. I'm not an automotive professional. But if you observe the activity of my life, the races that I watch, F1 will be on today. Motocross was on yesterday. I'm not a NASCAR person, even though I served in the South. I masqueraded as a NASCAR person. (laughs) But Indy cars, F1 cars, I like that stuff. I care about that stuff. I think about that stuff. Do you want to know what just came out? I can tell you what just came out. I can tell you how many horsepower is going to be in the latest thing. You know why that is? Passion. I like that stuff. You know what? There's something you like. It may be climbing. It may be music. It may be tech. It may be horses. It may be art. God says, I want to be at the top of that passion chain. More important than the priorities represented in those things just mentioned. Your kids, sports. God gets trumped by nobody and no thing if he gets what he deserves and desires. What is the passion of your heart? And if Jesus Christ is standing here today, not Harry Walls, his representative, he's going to say, you know what matters to me? I get all of the passion of your heart, your soul. How you doing? Number three, your mind. I want you to love me with your mind. Isn't that an interesting statement? Your mind is the vehicle where you think. It's where you learn and grow. God wants you to love him by growing in your knowledge of him. How dedicated, that's the key word. How dedicated are you as it relates to your mind to populate your head with perspectives and truths and realities about God that fosters your affection for God? How often do you open the book? Average Christian, 10 minutes a week. I don't believe this is an average group. You go to Grace Church, we're word lovers and truth tellers. We get extra credit for learning Bible verses and knowing doctrine. The average Christian doesn't populate or perpetuate the priority of knowing God by investing time in God's word daily. Are you meditating? Are you reflecting? Are you thinking? Are you memorizing? Are you reading? Are you learning? 
I want your mind, all of it. I want you to love me with the dedication of your head to know me so you can follow me and worship me. What do you watch? What do you listen to? And Karen and I were in Yosemite thinking, you know what? We've got we've to repent about not being in nature more often. We're going to be campers. So you know what you YouTube when you get home? Camping stuff. Man, the best tents, the best sleeping bags, the most affordable, the top 10. You know what I'm talking about. Whatever you're into, guitars or cars or art, what do you do? You get on your little electronic tool and you OD on information available to you about what it is you're into. You want to know the top 10 tents or the top 10 trailers under $20,000? You want to know what? I can tell you today. God says, I want you to focus on learning about me. The rest of the stuff is lesser stuff. Dedicate your mind, and here's another big word, protect your mind. You're in a world of toxic pollutants. One of the downsides of YouTube or media is you get opportunities to click boxes that aren't helpful or healthy. You have to protect your mind by what you listen to and by what you watch. Entertainment value does not trump the priority of good nutrition for your mind. Some of the things we watch, some of the things we imbibe, Deny us this priority. Love me with all your mind. Don't compromise your mind. Don't listen to that. Don't look at that. Think on these things. Let your eye focus on the path you should be on. Proverbs 4. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep your eye on the things that matter. Here's a summer success. Prioritize what you dedicate your mind to and determine what you're going to protect your mind from. I'm going to argue this is some things that need to go if you're going to succeed at this. You're going to have a good summer. You're going to have to trade away some non-nutritious mental stuff. I decided if I'm going to get fit to do some of the trails I want to do, I got to deny myself some of the attractive food stuff. You find me over at that table with those donuts, which I'm thankful that somebody brought for you. If you see me over there, save me. (laughs) I'm saying in public where I want to go is healthier. I enjoy that. Some of the entertainment is just it's like soap bubbles it's frothy has no substance one of the great benefits of being in a teaching church is you learn to listen you learn to think you learn to read where the pastor preaches 55 minutes you have to pay attention you have to learn to develop this tool summer success is i'm dedicating my mind and I'm protecting my mind. I'm adjusting to this expectation 
this desire of God. Fourth thing, love God with all your strength. Strength is physical effort. Strength is sweat. I want you to put out your best efforts for me. I was in New Jersey earlier last month, did a pastor's event in, for a church in New Jersey down in Maryland, stayed with a friend who I grew up with, best buddy. His son was in Spain this past week in one of the premier ultra-marathon events in the world. They do 100 miles. They don't walk. They don't take a scooter. They run. And not, it's not flat. It's not Yosemite Valley flat. It's up to some peak. The guy who won, won for the 10th time in a row. 100-mile races, he does 200 miles. Who does that? They have cars for 200 miles. You know what that is? That's all in, all out, all on effort. You know what Jesus says about success? This is what matters to God. I want that effort for me. I want you to love me with that kind of horsepower. I want you to dedicate effort to me in order to love me, serve me, know me, follow me. I've commissioned you. I've released you. I want you to know me. I want you to serve me. I built you for me. And your greatest blessing and benefit is housed in that priority. I deserve it. I want the world to know it. And you validate my worth when you live that way. It's really hard to convince your family and friends that God matters if they can't see the priority he represents in your life. And I'm not talking about religiosity. I'm not talking about just religious activity. I'm talking about passionate priority. I'm reading, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm serving. I'm exercising my spiritual muscles. I'm investing my spiritual life for a God who's worthy. He's one of a kind. There is no other, and he wants my first and my best. Can you say amen to that? How you doing? If these next three months are going to be an adjustment, what are you going to adjust? So, Karen, if this is how we want to improve our relationship, what has to change? What has to happen in our schedule in order to facilitate these priorities? If these are the things that matter in this human horizontal relationship, which is given for our blessing and benefit, It does no good to say this matters and not do the things that reflect that it matters. If God says this is what's best for me and our relationship, I need to make adjustments. And God says this is what matters to me. What adjustments do you need to make? What priorities? What practices? what pursuits, what needs to engage, and what do you need to disengage? Love me with all your strength. 
Love me with all your mind. Love me with all your soul. Love me because you've decided to love me out of the will center of your heart. You recognize who I am and you know I'm worthy of the best that you have. Summer success, life success. And this comes from Deuteronomy 6 where the people of God heard the man of God, the representative of God who met with God say, listen, you want to live long? You want to be blessed? This is where it starts. And then you tell it to your children every morning and every evening. And you put it in spaces in your house that remind you God's God and we worship him. And every morning and every evening of every synagogue service that was the declaration, listen, I'm God. Yahweh is God. And he is first, foremost, and one of a kind. And he's worthy of your love and your best efforts. What Jesus did in verse 31 is he connected to your heart for him, to your heart for them. I'm going to argue you validate the fact that you get who he is and the priority that he has, his uniqueness, by loving him. If you get who he is, you love him. And you love him this way. And if you love him the way he wants to be loved, the way the world sees that in real time is validated by how you love your neighbor as yourself. The third facet of success, verse 31, the second, and I love this, the second, the second priority in this expression of your affection for him and the priority he deserves and desires. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now watch this, end of 31. There is no other commandment. Do you see that's a singular? Greater than these, that's plural. I'm going to argue these go together. This is a commandment represented in these priorities. Loving God needs to represent itself in loving others. Love people as you would want to be loved. That is the desire of God, and that defines success in the mind of God. This is what matters. How you treat people. How you love people. You know what love is. Love is an other-centered priority. Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you says, I get what I would want, and I'm going to give them what I would want. Love is a sacrificial action. We know love by this, 1 John 3.16. He laid down his life for us. It's sacrificial for us while we were his enemies, unconditional. He laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for whom? One another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Summer success. What would your neighbor want? What would you want from your neighbor if you were your neighbor? I was listening on the way home yesterday to a Christian preacher that didn't get his name. It was at the end of his sermon. He uh, rehearsed a story in the close of his message about a magician, rather famous, 
named Penn Gillette. I guess it's Penn and Teller. They had a Vegas show and they're illusionist or whatever. And he was referencing Penn Gillette, one of the two guys. And Penn was an atheist, a noted atheist, an outspoken atheist. And some guy came to one of his shows in Vegas and somehow found a way to get to Mr. Gillette and gave him a Bible and shared the gospel with him. And Gillette mentioned, and this is the illustration the pastor was giving, mentioned that in one of his interviews that this Christian came, gave him a Bible, and told him about God and the gospel. And when he was asked about that, when he reflected on that, he said this, I respect that guy. And then this is what caught my attention. If you believe that there is eternal life, How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them how they can have it? End quote. You know, that stuck with me. I told Karen, you know what? That's a good thing to say to somebody. Hi, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible's true, and I believe you can have eternal life and that there is such a thing as eternal life. Would you be interested in five minutes if I told you how the Bible says you can have it? If I love Hector, my neighbor, who lives next door, or Isaac, who lives across the wash from me, if I love them, won't I tell them, if I believe in eternal life, how they can have it? The answer to that is, yes, if I love them as I would want to be loved, I would want to be told. They may reject it, they may not buy it, but they deserve to hear it. Do you agree with that? I heard four of you say amen to that. Do you agree with that? If you love your neighbor and you know the antidote to the eternal reality that they face, Wouldn't love compel you to engage them in some way in order to communicate with them how they can avoid hell, enjoy heaven, have a relationship with God, be forgiven of their sins, not live their life in a way that is vain, but purposeful and life-giving, abundant and satisfying? Yes, that would be loving. So if I'm going to assess myself, I'm going to know the three things I like is you pray for them, you care for them, and you look for opportunities to share with them. You pray for them by name. Put your neighbors down. Neighbors, anybody in the traffic pattern of your life. You should have three or five of those on a paper every day. Pray for them. God, open their heart. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is first of all. I want you to pray for all men. I want you to beg God, talk to God, petition God, worship God, and give thanks to God. I want you to pray for everybody. The context of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is God desires all men to be saved. You pray for those in authority, why? So you can live a tranquil and peaceful life, so you can stay focused on the things that matter. Pray for your neighbors, look for opportunities to serve your neighbors, and then talk to your neighbors. Summer success is I am going to love them like I would want to be loved. Loving them is praying for them by name. Loving them is caring for them 
practical needs. Loving them is sharing the news that they most desperately need. They may reject it. They may not receive it. But loving them is sharing it. That is the priority of the Word of God and the Son of God. And you can know all of that and not have that. That's what the passage goes on to say. The scribe said, look at verse 32. Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides it. You said it. It's true. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let me tell you what he just said. All of the worship prescriptions of the Old Testament are not equal to this priority because this priority is the priority. All of the offerings, all of the religious activity is a symptom of a heart that's described that he acknowledges. And Jesus says in verse 34, he saw that he had answered, do you see the word intelligently? He had used his mind. He was thinking correctly. And Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I just want to say this as we end our time of challenge today. You can know everything I just said, say amen to everything that was just said. You can applaud what Jesus prescribed. And you cannot, and you don't necessarily have it. You can be near it, but not possess it. Because you have to understand what the sacrifices were about. All of those sacrifices pointed to the sacrifice. All of the whole burnt offerings, all of the religious prescriptions of the Mosaic worship system were designed to point to a person. And the person is the Lamb of God who suffered on a cross, who died as a substitute, who bore in his own body the wrath that we justly deserved because we have sinned, because we have fallen short, because we have failed to fulfill the expectation of the God who is worthy of our worship and our wholehearted following, Jesus came as a substitute. We are damaged by evil and by choice. God sent a ransom and a rescuer. Jesus died in our place. He bore in his body what we deserved. He satisfied a debt we couldn't pay. He finished the payment we couldn't finish, resurrected, validating that that propitiation, that satisfaction was accepted. All of those burnt offerings represented a substitute who died in our stead. And if we receive it by faith because of his grace, not earned or deserved, we can be in the kingdom, loving the king, instead of being near the kingdom, not knowing the king. You've answered, well, you've said yes at church on Sunday. Yep, this is what God wants. The question is, do I have it or am I near it? And if you have it, you express it. I'm going to close with this statement. We love God like this, 1 John 4 because he first loved us. Let me tell you what can't happen. Loving him like this 
until I experience the love that comes from him. Because motivated, passionate priority of this type is the product of receiving a love that comes from God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you have no passion for God, there's no sweat and effort for God, there's no desire to dedicate your mind and life to God, your neighbors aren't more important, you don't consider their needs as greater than your own, you don't love them, even those in your family, as you would want to be loved, you July, the five Sundays of July. I want you to focus on Ephesians 1, Romans 8, and Philippians 2. Three passages. Ephesians 1, Philippians 2, Romans 8. Here's the question. How has God loved me first? Ephesians 1, the Father has loved me. Philippians 2, the Son has loved me. Romans 8, the Spirit of God has loved me. Meditate. Talk around the table, study, and write out, God has loved me first. The Father has loved me first by, and write a sentence. The Father has loved me first by, write another sentence. I'll give you an example. The Father loved me first by choosing me before I existed. He loved me before I was a human being. He foreknew me. He loved me in advance. He chose me in advance. He loved me first. I didn't pick him. He picked me first. I love him as a response to his loving me. That's Ephesians 1. Philippians 2, how has Jesus loved me? Romans chapter 8, how has the Spirit of God loved me? He loved me first by, write it out, talk with someone about it. Friends, family, make it a conversation. And next Sunday, I want to unpack some ways God has loved you first and why you ought to love him the way he deserves and desires. And I'm going to argue that if you make that your meditation and your priority focus, you'll be successful this summer. Because your heart and life will be calibrated with a relational reality that's life-changing, life-transforming, life-giving, and this is what matters to God. And if it doesn't matter to us, we're missing the point. Can you say amen to that? This is how you measure your life. This is how you maximize it. And part of what smart followers of Jesus do as they periodically stop, assess, and make adjustments. There's no crime in saying, I'm not getting the job done. When Karen says, Harry, I really need you to pick up the pace here. The crime is ignoring that and not adjusting to that. That's the crime. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word today, and I know this is foundational. But Lord, there are... Reminders in the Word of God that we ought to reflect and remember and recall and evaluate based on the mirror of your Word, James 1. Help us to not look at it 
see something and then forget what we have seen. Lord, I pray today that as this expectation, rightful one of a God who's worthy and like no other, that we won't see these as just big words, unattainable priorities. I can't love anything with all I have. I pray, Lord, that we would seek to align our heart and our pursuits in light of what you've expected and declared. And I pray that you'll make us thoughtful and mindful about the people we live and work with, the family we live with, our closest neighbors. I pray that we would pray for them, care for them, and share the good news with them. Help us to be successful. To that end, we need to know the love you have for us. Illuminate us in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.